you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Hi, I'm Rose, and I'm a member of City on a Hill East. Uh, I'm usually a maths teacher. I teach secondary school maths to teenage boys, but um, obviously being on holidays, I've managed to enjoy the last couple of weeks off with my two children and my husband. Um, Last term, I've been teaching online, but like many parents um, and most teachers, I'm looking forward to going back to school soon in term four. Um, Today's Bible reading comes from Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. G'day City on a Hill, so good to be with you. If we haven't had the chance to meet before, my name is Nick. Get the joy of being the pastor of this great church. And today, the joy of opening God's Word with you again in our Encounter series. Would you uh, start with me by praying together? Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, Lord, please help me now to preach and all of us to receive your Word this morning and this message in such a way that your power that the reality of your truth, that the uh, exposure of our great need of your grace 
would hit us today? Lord, would you push through into our lives and pierce our hearts so that we might be made into people who worship you more wholeheartedly, who commit our lives to you, who lean and rely on you. And so make Jesus big today, we pray. Make him big and bold and as beautiful as he really is to our hearts, to our eyes, to our minds and out in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people typed, amen. So good to be with you again. Today, we are back in Luke chapter 7, continuing our encounter series. And if you were here with us last week, uh, you'll remember that uh, last week showed us that while it was a heavy week, it was also a hopeful week. That there was grief, there were tears, there was grace, there was power, and there was transformation. And we learned that Jesus makes the difference in our most serious moments of suffering. And today we move a few verses on in Luke chapter 7, and yet we come to an episode that is not too dissimilar to last week. But today we see that, yes, it will be heavy, but there will be hope. That there will be grief, there will be tears, but there will be grace and there will be power and there will be transformation because Jesus doesn't only make the difference in our most serious moments of suffering. He also makes the difference in our most shameful moments of sin. And as we ready ourselves to dive in to this episode, it's worth uh, exposing the truth that we're not playing games here. You know, I grew up in the church and uh, growing up in church, you can get good at playing church kind of games. You put your church face on, you know how to walk into church confident and positive so that those people who take life seriously don't pull you aside and ask you, hey, how are you really going? You, you know when to bow your head, you know when to raise your hands at the right time. You know, sometimes this whole church thing can become a little bit too performative where you play your part in showing up. The worship leader plays their part in inspiring us. I play my part in telling us about Jesus. You play your part again in nodding along. And then we all play our part in saying goodbye and going back to our real lives. The problem is that then real life happens. And we find ourselves falling behind the vision that we had for what we would accomplish in our lives. And we start to cut corners. We find ourselves in marriages that we don't know why we even joined in the first place. We find ourselves in all sorts of jobs with pressures to uh, tow the company line or to uh, lift the profit margin and to compromise our convictions in doing so. We find ourselves in global pandemics where we're pushed one way and pulled another and the pressure of real life forces us to make real decisions. And if you are anything like me, sometimes your real decisions have been dumb and they've been foolish and they've been sinful and they've brought you shame. Now, I know you've probably found yourselves in moments like that as well. Maybe there are whole seasons of your life that you try to forget. You want the memories to fade away as if it never happened. Things you feel embarrassed about. Choices you made that were so attractive to you at the time. But now when you bring them back to mind, you, you kind of vomit up a little bit in your mouth. And you think to yourself, what on earth was I thinking? 
times where you've either publicly or privately just decided to glut on your own self-centeredness. Just go your own way. Give in to temptation or selfishness. You see, what we're actually doing at church, whether we gather physically or whether we gather together online like today, that it's actually exactly why we're here. To be perhaps the one place in your life where you don't need to perform, where you don't need to put on a front, where you don't need to put on a facade. Instead, you can drop it and you can be the real you, baggage and all, shame and all, sin and all. And you can just honestly confess that you don't even measure up to your own standards most of the time. Welcome to church. Today, we're going to encounter Jesus. And we're going to see what happens when a woman full of sin and shame comes to Jesus. And what happens to that sin and shame when it encounters Jesus. And so join me in Luke chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 36. But between last week's episode on and this week's episode... Jesus' own reputation has been the talk of the town. Reports have been spreading about, around about him. His own cousin, John the Baptist, is in jail and he sends his disciples out to you know, find out who this Jesus really is. Is he the Messiah? And so the disciples are seeking to ask that question of who is this Jesus? And Luke, who's writing this book that we're looking at, he really wants us to grapple with that question ourselves. Because immediately after that episode, he brings in this episode where a Pharisee, a religious leader, invites Jesus over for dinner so that he himself might get an answer to that question. Who is this Jesus? And so we pick it up in verse 36, where we read of exactly that. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Now, hospitality was a little bit different in the first century. While RSVPs would go out to those who were invited, there was also this whole throng of uninvited observers who would show up to listen in on the conversations that these influential people were going to be having around the dinner table. And so that classic game that we might play of kind of, you know, what famous person would you love to have dinner with? It was a little less theoretical back then because for famous people in a certain city, everyone else could actually come along and actually find out what they would talk about at dinner by listening in from the sidelines. And so as soon as we read that Jesus shows up for dinner here, we know that others will have shown up as well. And Luke highlights one particular individual who showed up. We read in verse 37, and behold. And so Luke really wants us to see who this is. He wants us to lean in here and realize it's significant. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. So the description of this woman is that she is a woman of the city. Now that is Luke's PG rated way of saying that this woman was a prostitute. And her reputation precedes her. She's described as a woman of the city who was a sinner. And we know from verse 39 that this Pharisee, who was the host, he knew full well who she was because he labels her again a sinner in verse 39. We know that he expected Jesus himself to know full well who this woman was because he judges Jesus based on how Jesus responds to her. 
And so whether it's by how she was dressed or whether it's by her public prominence, this woman was well known as a woman who hung around the corner of the red light district, a woman who typified debauchery, sexual immorality and godlessness. And because of that reputation, she's a woman that everyone else who would have wanted to keep up appearances and maintain some semblance of their own reputation, everyone else will have wanted to socially distance themselves from her. And therein lies the way of the world when it comes to sin and shame. You know, our world's reflex response to sinners is to disassociate ourselves and keep our distance. In this story, being in the religious world of the first century Israel, they perhaps had a little bit of an advantage over our culture today where their diagnosis of this woman's sin as sin was right. But their shock that a public sinner would come into a Pharisee's, a religious leader's house, well, doesn't that expose that their response to sin was wrong? But change some language and our world is exactly the same today. You know, it's God's mercy that you or I are not so famous, that we have people trawling through our historical social media posts, trying to find something that they deem sinful, something that goes against the prevailing narrative of the day, so that they might cancel us, so that people might distance themselves from us, so that our workplaces might fire us, so might people might respond to us just how these people have responded to this woman. If you've said something shameful in the past or you say something shameful today, our world is not a world that has any skill in being able to believe the best about one another. No, we want to keep our distance, as, as much distance and disassociation as possible from any sin and shame. Some of you who are part of our church will have come to Australia from uh, honour-shame cultures. And so your family, perhaps, and this is somewhat true of every single family, perhaps there's a black sheep in your family. Someone who hasn't gotten the grades that they were expected to have, hasn't gotten the career they were expected to have, haven't kind of gone on in life how their parents or the patriarch or matriarch of the family expected them to do. And so they start, whether slowly or abruptly, get distance from, get sidelined even within the family. This is how our world responds to sin and to shame. And so think about the weight that this woman will have been carrying within her. Her family has likely disowned her. Her community is trying hard to shun her. Every step that she took in this city will have been followed by judgmental eyes tracking wherever she moved. Every conversation she shared with someone or tried to start with someone likely will have been met with an elitist turn of the nose, snobbing her off. And every purchase she made in that city will have been questioned by the one she was buying something from. Where did this money come from? This woman will have been heavy with humiliation. And she knew that her lifestyle brought great shame. Perhaps you've felt somewhat of a, a slice of what it feels like to be ashamed and to feel shame. I remember as a kid, the first time that I knew I had really blown it in a public way. 
I was walking home one day after primary school, I must have been about 10 or 11, uh, and I was with the cool kids. And so when I was with the cool kids, I wanted to do what the, the cool kids did. And as we were walking across the children's crossing, it occurred to us that the cars had to wait for us. The cars would stop for us. And so as kids, we decided we need to take advantage of this. And so we started walking across the crossing in really slow motion. One little step at a time. As you can imagine, the impatience of those in the car was, you know, it was on the rise. And I felt pretty good about myself as I enjoyed that moment and crossed the road. But then the next day of school came and we were innocently sitting there learning in class and the principal walked in. And the principal didn't just walk in, he stopped the class to make an announcement that there had been kids up to mischief at the school crossing yesterday afternoon, that they were going to have to bear the consequences And then he did every kid's nightmare, a classic principal move. He said, and I know who it was, but I'm not going to say who it was. You need to come and see me. He left it up to us. And there I am sitting and the weight of my guilt and the feeling of my shame started to press in on me. And so I feel dread and I go home that night And I was able to sleep on it and still there it was as I woke up. And I remember the very next morning as I was getting ready to go back to school. I'm getting my breakfast. I'm standing there in front of the pantry and I broke. I could not take this burden back to school. I needed to get it out. And here's this woman who has heard that Jesus is in town. And without knowing all that she knows about Jesus, we don't know everything that she knew, she knows enough about what he is here to do, about who he is, that she is going to come and gate crash this meal so that she can encounter Jesus. And so she walks in to what would have been this public area in the Pharisee's home. And we read in verse 38, And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And so something is going on in the heart of this woman. She is not here to offer her body as a product on sale. Instead, she is bringing the most expensive products she owns, an alabaster flask of ointment. And she's kneeling down and she's weeping and she's wailing and she's wetting and she's wiping the feet of Jesus with her hair. Now, this woman is is used to doing things that were not publicly acceptable, things that were, were not kosher, but never in this direction. This Pharisee is getting far more than he bargained for by inviting Jesus over for dinner. And so he says in Luke 39, but to himself... If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is that is touching him. For she is a sinner. And so think about this man for a moment. Because like her, this man's reputation will have preceded him as well. He will have been well known in the city. He has been an an upright and a moral man, a respectable man, a religious man who knew God's law, who followed the ways of God. 
Every step he took in the city will have been followed by honoring, glistening eyes. Every conversation he had will have been met by someone being very respectful to him. Every purchase he made will have been celebrated by the person he was buying something from as them serving one of God's holy men. What a privilege. And so in the eyes of the world, this man and this woman could not be more different. And so the world responded to them in completely opposite ways. But that's not the only difference between this Pharisee and this sinful woman. Because the woman has made her opinion of Jesus very public. She's pouring it out, literally, in front of people. And yet this Pharisee sits back, chest puffed out, thinking to himself, who is this Jesus? And even though he said it to himself, Jesus perceives this, we're told. Jesus knows what he's saying under his breath. And so he says to this Pharisee, he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And the Pharisee, now whom we know is named Simon, says, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And so the Pharisee, Simon, answers, the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And Jesus replies, aha, you have judged rightly. Gold star for you, Simon. To his credit, he gets the answer right, because it's not very hard, is it? If someone came along and paid off your debt, which was equal to about almost two years of your salary, versus someone who came along and paid off two months of your salary, for sure you would be far more thankful and grateful to the person who paid off the more. But then unexpectedly, Jesus flips the script and he turns this story, which seems so obvious, on its head and applies it to what's going on right now. He says in verse 43, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And so for all the differences between this sex worker and this Pharisee, Jesus points out that one thing is the same, a very important thing. Both of them are in debt. The Pharisee isn't wrong in thinking that this woman is a sinner, but he's wrong in acting like he isn't one also. Now, our world, again, is a lot like him here. Last week, I was invited along to a uh, round table with our local member for federal parliament in the seat of Higgins, which is where Phoenix Park is in, in Malvern East. And this is the second round table that uh, religious leaders had been gathered together for to discuss what's currently going through uh, the process of seeking feedback is the, the religious freedom bill. And now I happen to think that this bill uh, is a very good thing and would be helpful for our society because it acts as a shield for all people to be able to uh, not be discriminated against because of their beliefs. 
But it became clear in the discussion and reflecting on it afterwards that a lot of the tension surrounding this bill really comes back to our society not being comfortable at all with the idea of sin. To think in those kind of categories, that there is sin and there are sinners, is itself bigoted. To use the language is offensive. And if you have that kind of belief, then, well, you need to keep it to yourself. Now, to be sure, we, we don't want to be jerks with our theology, but we won't be when we realize the bigger connection here that Jesus is making. He shows us that just as someone in greater debt will respond with greater love when it's paid off for them, so too someone in greater sin will respond with greater love when they're forgiven. So to know ourselves as sinners is actually meant to lead not to judgment and condemnation, but to greater humility, gratitude, and love. And therefore, to minimize our own sin is to actually handicap our worship. Negative emotions like guilt and shame. In the Bible, we see that they're actually gifts to us to drive us toward a forgiver and a redeemer, someone who can take our shame. And that's exactly where the sin and the shame of this woman has driven her. To gate crash a dinner in front of everybody who had been looking down on her just so she could find Jesus. Some of you watching today, you need to know this too. Maybe you're watching and you are actually in the midst of one of those seasons right now that I described at the beginning. You are in the midst of one of these backslidden seasons where you know that you are just glutting on your self-centeredness, making self-centered choices, feeling anything you can feel to help you get through this season that you are going in. And maybe you haven't told anyone because you feel great shame. You think about potentially being exposed and you start to panic. You think about finally having to face the consequences of what you're doing and your heart starts to feel heavy and sick. Well, Jesus is offering himself to you right now. Jesus is open to receiving your sin and your shame right now. Let any negativity you feel about your sin and about your debt drive you to him. And Jesus will do exactly for you what he does for this woman. Because Jesus does, he knows full well who this woman is. He says very plainly, her sins are many. But Jesus isn't seeing her through the eyes of her sin. Jesus sees her through the eyes of his forgiveness. And so we can be frank and we can be forthright with sin, especially our own sin. But we should match that and go even further in being very frank and forthright about Jesus' forgiveness and Jesus' grace and God's love for us in Christ. The way to do that is to keep our eyes on the place where that debt was paid, to keep our eyes on the cross. Because on the cross, we see the gory yet glorious reality of our sin and God's grace. John Stott famous Christian author says it like this, nothing reveals the gravity of sin like the cross. For ultimately what sent Christ there was our own greed, 
envy, cowardice and other sins and Christ's resolve in love and mercy to bear their judgment and so put them away. It is impossible for us to face Christ's cross with integrity and not feel ashamed of ourselves. You see, the world looks at our sin and looks at what is shameful and wants to disassociate itself, wants to distance itself as much as possible. And yet God looks at our sin, looks at us in our shame, and He sends His one and only Son. And He says, such is His love for His people, even in their sin, even in their shame, that He is coming for us to die on the cross and take on our debt Himself to pay it all so that we might be free and forgiven. And the Pharisee couldn't see this because everything about that Pharisee's life affirmed their own righteousness. If we want to know ourselves and know how we measure up, we don't look at this world. We don't look at Instagram, it's fake news. We don't look at our resume, it's fake news. We don't look around at our pretty and comfortable lives in the eastern suburbs. Don't let them fool you. You were headed for an eternity of separation from God. You were headed to bear the pain, the shame, the anguish of your own sin and dumb life choices yourself. But we can look to the cross. And there at the cross, we see how we measure up. We see that we fail and we see that we fall. And yet we see that Jesus is our redemption. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our saviour as Jesus takes our sin and our shame upon himself. There we will be offended that Jesus had to die in our place. And yet there we will be humbled and there we will find gratitude and there we will pour our lives out at Jesus' feet like this woman because we'll see that Jesus was willing to die for us that we might come home with him to the Father. And so like the woman in this story, you have made a mess of your life. It might not be public to others, but your heart and its selfishness and the choices that you've made and the thoughts you've thought are not private to the one who matters. And and you have thought that the sin and the shame that you feel, perhaps you've thought that it would just be dealt with with the passage of time the fading memories, that heaviness starts to get lighter and lighter as you can't remember what you've done. Let me tell you, there is something so much better. Jesus has come and Jesus invites you to bring your sin, to bring your shame, to bring your failures, to bring your guilt to Him and to recognize that just as God's holiness exposes us, so too God's love welcomes us and heals us and invites us to come to him and trust in him. Do you know that reality? Do you know the reality of the cross? Because of the cross, God's affection for you is not a polling booth based on whether the people who know you exist feel like you're living a respectable life or a shameful life. And perhaps you are your own harshest critic Perhaps when you replay moments or seasons in your life and memories and you think to yourself, man, what was I thinking at the time? Man, I can't believe who I was at the time. I'm so ashamed. You know, that person that you think about, that you try hard to forget, 
God loved that person. Jesus died for that person. And so you, in your mess, whether it's past mess, whether it's present mess, or whether it's perhaps will be future mess, are so loved by God, so accepted by Him, that there is nothing that you need to hide to Him, nothing you can't bring out into the light and lay at His feet and see it transformed into worship. And so you can know that reality today. Like this woman, you can fall at Jesus' feet and begin to worship Him. And then our story finishes with the response of people surrounding Jesus and the woman. And we'll finish there as well. In verse 49, Jesus says this, or it says, Then those at the table were with him and began to say among themselves, Who is this? Who even forgives sins? That's a key question, isn't it? That is one of the most important questions that, like I said at the beginning, has has shaped the last couple of episodes, even into today. And we've seen in recent weeks that, that Jesus healed bodies. We've seen that Jesus raised the dead. And now here, Jesus outs himself as having the authority to forgive sin. And so Jesus is offering this public viewing, these people who just thought they were coming for dinner. He's actually offering them a mortgage-free life. Their spiritual debt completely paid. Full forgiveness. Life eternal. And one sinful woman sees it. And her response is extravagant, costly, sacrificial worship. And the rest of their response is that they lean back and they start mulling it over. And they ask these questions. Who is this Jesus? You know, there comes a time where questions are no longer about the question themselves. They're just diversions. And so we must answer that question for ourselves as well. Will we recognize that The Christian message isn't about forming a lifestyle. It's not about playing your part as a religious or righteous person. It's not about accruing enough moral value or respect from those around you because of how you live your life that you can kind of enter into God's presence. No, we need to notice the far better news of Christianity, the far better news of encountering Jesus, the really, really, really good news for people like you and people like me who have real lives and have to make real decisions and have done real failures and mistakes and sin. And when we do, we can give up the performative spirituality and we can come and we can have dinner with Jesus. And we can lay at his feet because Jesus invites us, because he has paid our debt and there is nothing that needs stand in our way. Jesus invites us to dwell with him, to have a relationship with him, to bring our sin and our shame in honesty to him and live our life with Jesus. You see, this woman, when we see her example, she didn't kind of hear this about Jesus and think, man, I'd love that. Why don't I supplement Jesus into my life so I can kind of make some personal improvements? No, her whole life became centered around Jesus. And so will you join this woman in her worship? Will you join this woman in her love 
and in her response to Jesus. Because we have a God who knows our reality. We can drop the performance. That when we encounter the real Jesus, there we encounter real grace for our real sin and our real lives that have become a real mess so that we might have a new real life with Jesus. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you so much for this story that you have passed down to us so that we might get a picture of what you and your grace are like. God, you're a God who welcomes sinners. You're a God who invites us even with our baggage, even with our shame, even with our mess. That you invite all people, irrespective of our lifestyles, irrespective of where we've come from, irrespective of what we bring. That we might see ourselves as sinners. That we might know that we're in great debt. And yet we might be pushed by that to you, the great one who will relieve our debt, who pays it for us, who will forgive our sin and welcome us to come and dwell with you. Lord, may that be true for everybody who's watching this today. Whatever is going on in our lives, whatever has gone in our lives in the past and we've tried to forget, Lord, wherever each one of us is right now, would you help us in our hearts confess and bring our sin and our shame out into the light? And we thank you that real grace meets us in our real life. And so come and overwhelm our lives that we might respond in real worship like this woman and that we might lay our lives down at your feet so that you can transform us and help us live in light of you and your goodness to us. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.